Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available at thejazzsession.com and for free in iTunes. This week's guests are the members of the We Trio. From their new album, Capital Diner, Volume One, this is the Kurt Cobain tune about a girl. My guests, in, in a somewhat novel departure for the jazz session, are all the members of the We Trio. Their brand new record is called Capital Diner Volume 1, and they are vibraphonist James Westfall, bassist Dan Loomis, and drummer Jared Schoenig. And, uh, you know, in the interest of full disclosure, I should say that uh, I know Dan somewhat, and I know Jared quite well, and uh, I've never met James. So you can take all three of those for whatever you will, and uh, guys, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you. My pleasure. It's really great to have you on. I I, uh, I can't say that I've heard a lot of just vibe, bass, and drum trios before. So maybe James, I'll just start with you and ask um, how you guys met each other and and how the idea for this particular grouping came about. Well, uh, we met each other uh, originally um, on Twenty Third Street in South Brooklyn in the nebulous neighborhood of Greenwood uh, Heights, which is between. Um, Park Slope and uh, Sunset Park. Park. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, we lived across the street from each other, and being a vibes player, it's kind of a hassle to move a vibraphone across the city. So it's uh, nice and convenient when uh, you got people on your block that you could just wheel a vibraphone to the gig. 
or to the session, even though that was kind of unsuccessful when we tried it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and uh, we booked a tour, and originally it was going to be a quartet tour. And uh, due to financial circumstances and a uh, guitar player that will rename nameless for... Uh... <laughs> because he's, like, floating down the East River or something? or <laughs> <laughs> Just about, almost. He almost was floating down the East River. Um, yeah, due, due to a little bit of drama, we, uh, we scaled the uh, quartet to a trio and did a nice little tour throughout Pennsylvania. And we just kind of kept that same information since the tour. You know, it really, um, even if it was an accident, it really seems to work because there's so much room on this record. And I often find, um, on like if you had another p- a piano player with you or a guitarist, um, often those work really, really well. But sometimes it's difficult for that many fingers to stay out of each other's way. And that's absolutely not a problem anywhere here. Everybody just has as much room to contribute as they want. I wonder if that's the experience you guys had in making the record or have in playing with each other on stage. No, I think uh, this is this is Jared, by the way. And I think, um, w- yeah, when we first started playing with each other, you know, Dan and I have a illustrious history of playing together, and 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 we we've, we've backed up a lot of different people, and and getting to play with like such a great vibraphonist was a real treat, you know, and the fact that he was really willing to, you know, give room and and be spacious in certain parts, and you know. Well, put crazy chords in other parts, and you know it, it was kind of from the get go that we were able to kind of have like a uh, you know a very equal persona and an equal you know part to this record and to this band, and it just it just kind of turned out that way, and we were lucky. You know, it's not one one person in the forefront too much, and it's very much a band, and you know it just kind of meshed like that. Did yeah, you... this is Dan. I'll build on that a little bit. It was one of those bands that. We hadn't played a lot together when we did the tour, and it kind of fell together immediately. I, I feel like that first tour, like as soon as we started playing, where we were coming from and like the influences we had and our musical vocabulary was pretty much all in line from the first gigs. And it was one of those bands where you just kind of knew that it was going to work well and you'd be able to cover a lot of ground you know, right away. Yeah. Did you guys decide right from the beginning that you were going to use mostly original material, or in those first gigs were you playing things you all had kind of shared repertoire and then the original stuff came later? Um, this is James, but uh, we kind of... Originally it was actually a Dan Loomis-James Westfall duo project. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, we kind of had some things prepared. I was, I was going on a big Kurt Cobain kick at the time, so I was... Uh, just kind of for the hell of it, just transcribing some uh, uh, Nirvana songs, um, a handful of them, and brought them in. And uh, it was funny because Jared wrote me a professional email like, so, um, you know, what should I check out, you know, for this tour? What what are you hearing and this and that? And I just typed back Nirvana. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) turns out uh, Jared's the real Nirvana fan who, uh, and I guess that kind of... Very true. Yeah, yeah, open opened up the door for him and kind of all of us that we can. Um, and it's funny because when we do play the when we do play jazz, it's kind of it's not that we're mocking jazz, but we're kind of mocking people that mock jazz, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, but it's um, but yeah, we kind of had a little bit of a repertoire, and then eventually we just added uh, 
original compositions that fit. We had to, some compositions didn't really fit at the time, and so we uh, didn't record some of them that we uh, played on the tour. So yeah, I was interested. I mean, this um, this record really, uh, at least from the beginning, with the uh, with the Nirvana track about a girl that starts off, it really reminded me of kind of a the the kind of European sound that's happening now. By which I don't mean like the the austere ECM sound, but more the the like you know let's forget convention and just play the stuff we like kind of sound that seems to be happening um, with a lot of bands. You know, like EST jumps to mind, and it, right. that sounds like a really cool place to be in as musicians to not have to worry about. We're going to record 12 Chestnuts and out. We're just going to yeah. do the music that we love. Yeah, I think that's something we, I don't know if we consciously think about, but it was like a natural thing for this band because it was, we're all like pretty versed in the jazz tradition and play a lot of jazz gigs, you know, like where we're, we're, <laughs> we're playing with like singers or instrumentalists who are doing 12 Chestnuts and out or like you said. But I think the idea with this was, to have all that background and all that vocabulary and that sound and then just kind of bring whatever we were hearing like in our in our current modern day environment to that sensibility and like be able to bring in whatever we wanted to and it's it's not so much that we're like throwing convention out the window but it's like you know when we're driving down this driving down the road listening to music we're listening to jazz sometimes but then we're also listening to all kinds of other music and so the idea was to have the band sound like that. The band represent that diversity. Right. But yeah, this is Jared. Yeah, I just want to build on that. Um, I mean, the stuff we play, we have fun playing. We're yeah. not going to play. We're not going to play tunes we don't we don't like per se. You know, we like playing jazz chestnuts. We might put a nice little spin on them. Um, but we really, you know, we really enjoy playing the music that we've recorded and. And we enjoy listening to other things and just like having fun. You know, it's it's fun. It's just like we love to play music and we love doing what we're doing. So I think it really reflects in the both the repertoire and both the way we perform it. Does this, the this, oh, this go ahead? Jay, I, I kind of that was kind of interesting that you uh, that you made the comparison to European music um, because it's uh, I don't really know the education system in in uh, Europe, but in America it's. It's very focused on one one thing, the jazz education, and and I think within the last decade, since every community college all over the United States has a jazz program of some sort, um, people are starting to um, actually question now, like you know, now that we're in a decade where people are trying to put jazz in a box and give it a definition and to define it. I think people are, there's a lot of people, especially in New York, that are still trying to uh, keep it from being defined that way. Are there any special challenges that uh, this instrumentation that you guys use presents? Are there any things maybe the average person just wouldn't think of, but that you guys have to be conscious of because of the particular instrumentation? Or, on the flip side of that, are there any particular advantages that this trio setup provides? Well, this is Dan. I'm more aware of the advantages playing with this group. Actually, um, it's got a unique nexus between the the joy of playing with a saxophone trio or like any kind of horn trio where it's bass, drum, saxophone, where you have that freedom of each bass note and melody note kind of defines its own new harmony and you can go anywhere and it's got this light, agile feeling of being able to turn on a dime and go some other direction that you don't get with a piano trio where like the pianist is dictating chords and can kind of control the sound of the group. But then with the vibes, you know, you have... You have that single line 
free feeling, but then you can also have the full sound when the vibraphone plays, you know, can play four mallets, four notes at once. You can also fill it out at certain times. So uh, for me, it's the best of both worlds. I would second that. Um, I mean, the only, uh, I don't think we have too many musical disadvantages, but we definitely have disadvantages in the instruments we have as <laughs> as trying to find vibes in different cities. And, yeah, right. You know, transportation issues and, and when Dan has to, you know, fly his base out and it basically costs more than a, a plane ticket. Yeah, I got to believe that, uh, you know, touring in this day and age, especially in this day and age of airline flights, can't be a picnic. Yeah, Yeah. no. Flying with the bass is tough, as we've been discovering. Yeah, doesn't, uh, Jay Lenhart has a really funny song about putting a bass aboard a plane, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. On YouTube. There you go. Um, I don't want to forget because uh, I know something about each of you that uh, many people who are listening to this probably won't. So maybe um, if we could start with James and then Dan and then Jared and just uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves, where you're from, how you started playing the instrument you're playing, that kind of thing. This is James, and I was born in 1981 in Houston. Actually, I was born in Tomball, Texas, which is a little... um, about 30, 45 minutes outside of Houston. And I grew up in Houston and uh, started on the violin, uh, worked my way to piano and classical percussion, and worked my way into jazz piano and switched it over to mallet since that was kind of my strength in classical percussion. And my grandfather was a school teacher, and there was a local middle school uh, at a school he was teaching at that was going to throw away their vibraphone because it was old. It was an old 1940s Jenko. So he uh, he took it, shined up the bars, uh, restored the frame, somehow found a pedal for it, which is just kind of random. And uh, and so that was my became my instrument of choice. And plus he had a nice little LP collection of uh, uh, old vibraphones that I could start off listening to. And then I went to... HSPVA, which is a performing arts school in Houston, and after graduation, 
um, there's a small school called the University of West New Orleans where I played baseball uh, on a scholarship, and eventually I found out that Ellis Marcellus was teaching at the University of New Orleans, and so I switched over there and uh, studied at the University of New Orleans, and after Ellis Marcellus retired, Terrence Blanchard took his, his five. And so I studied with Terrence, and then Terrence was encouraging me to come out to Los Angeles to the Monk Institute, the Thelonious Monk Institute. So I, I went up there, did that thing for a couple years, and um, came back to New Orleans, made my way up to New York, started playing with Dan and Jared, and the rest is uh, history. So violin, vibraphone, baseball, New Orleans, Terrence, Monk, and here we are. Yes. Nice. Okay. Dan, you're up. Okay. This is Dan Loomis. I was born March 29, 1980, <laughs> in a small town close to the sea called Redwood City. It's near and dear to my heart. It's in California. I was born on the West Coast, although I can't really claim to be a West Coaster. But I visited there every summer um, from the place where I grew up which is a bigger town entitled St. Louis, Missouri, in the middle, in the Middle West. Visit my grandmother every summer in California, so I grew up with a seaside sensibility. But grew up playing music in St. Louis and went to a university right across the river. For those of you all who are listening in New York and don't know, Missouri and Illinois are divided by a strong geographical boundary by the name of the Mississippi River. And so if you're on one side of the river... Uh, you're in Illinois, and if you're on the other side, you're in Missouri. So it's pretty easy to tell where you are. And so the side I was on when I was going to college was Illinois, and I went to SIUE, which stands for Southern Illinois University of Edwardsville, which is a enormous state school in a cornfield over there uh, with a very small but excellent jazz faculty. And went there for four years, then made the trek to Rochester, New York, where it's very cold and snowy most of the time. Uh, but there's an excellent jazz school by the name of Eastman School of Music. Um, so I had nothing to do but practice and play for two years. Met Jared there, and we've been playing a lot ever since that. Stayed there for two years. And then after that, my next move was to be in New York. And I've been in New York City for about four years now. I've been playing a lot, lots of different kinds of things. Yeah, I lived with Jared actually for a while. When I was living with Jared was when the Wee Trio got formed. And uh, as James says, the rest is history. Very nice, thank you. And Mr. Shonig. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you got a tough act to follow there. I was born August 12th, 1983. Uh, Malio. Yeah. Uh, I was born in Los Angeles, California, actually in the San Fernando Valley. And uh, grew up with two musician parents. My dad's a drummer and my mom is a pianist. So naturally, at a young age, I was forced to play an instrument, and that happened to be piano. So I started piano when I was about five and played pretty serious classical piano until about age 14 or 15. And when I got to middle school, I couldn't play piano in, in band, so I decided to pick the supposed hardest instrument, which was the oboe. So I, uh, I picked the oboe and I shed it pretty hard for about three years. I was pretty good. And then when I got to high school, I realized it was too nerdy, so I decided to pick my dad's instrument of the drums, and um, my first high school I went to was Granada Hills High um, in the Valley, and not a very strong music program, um, 
and I wasn't really super into music, but uh, my dad, after after my freshman year, my dad kind of tricked me into going to this, this arts high school in Los Angeles called Hamilton uh, Music Academy, and I went there, and I, I sincerely loved it a lot. It was a great, great art school, and there was tons of great players and great people to look up to, and had a great uh, band director, and very good community of, of musicians, and you know, I started to take music pretty seriously. And after high school, I uh, I looked at a bunch of colleges, and actually, Bram Glick. Did you know Bram, Jason? Yes. Awesome. Yeah, Bram Glick went to my high school. Also went to where I was about to go to Eastman School of Music. I did. I did my four years in Rochester. It was an amazing experience. I met tons and tons of great, great players, and had tons and tons of great teachers. Um, practiced a fair amount and uh, had a very good time. And um, after, yeah, after finishing Eastman, I was either going to go back to LA or, or go to New York. But after visiting New York for the first time when I was auditioning for schools, I knew it was the place I wanted to live right after college. So it was the only kind of move for me. And I was really fortunate to have a bunch of my buddies and musical, you know, compatriots living there already. And then. Um, you know, a lot of great Eastman people were there, and so it was, it was pretty awesome. And I've been there for about three years now, and had a, have a, I've had a great time and just playing lots of different stuff, and, and it's just been pretty amazing. I can't imagine being anywhere else. Can uh, one of you talk about the significance of the the title of this record, Capital Diner Volume One? Just talk a little bit about the Capital Diner and how it <laughs> could, how it plays. We could all talk a lot about it. <laughs> okay, you know, go for you it. I want to know about the Capital Diner. The Capital Diner is a place that's going to live in infamy in Wheatrear history for as long as Wheatrear history is read and studied. Um, it's in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which is where we had our first gig at this place that no longer is in existence called Four Hundred Five Jazz. Um, the owner actually uh, hosted Harrisburg, Pennsylvania's first and only international jazz festival, which single-handedly bankrupted him. Um, he didn't pay any of the performers. On so, my birthday. Yeah, on Jared's birthday, we went and played the 405 
International Jazz Festival um, and did, never got paid for it. So his club is is gone now. I think Adriano's back in Italy fleeing the bankruptcy laws over here. But anyway, That's so we were playing this gig in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We were staying at a travel lodge uh, with a proprietor named Rimsha, and he recommended a place to eat across the street, the Capital Liner, because Harrisburg is the capital of Pennsylvania. So we're sitting at the Capital Liner, um, really like one of our first band hangs, and so we're kind of getting the feel of each other. And on the placemats are all the 50 states with lines with the capitals left blank. I think they're the first letter, maybe, of every capital. Mm-hmm. Maybe not even that. Maybe there's no, blank. first letter. First letter. First letter, yeah. So, um, you know, the group activity for the afternoon was to actually figure out all the 50 capitals. We had to do some lifelines. We had to call some parents, some uncles, some uh, long-lost roommates to to actually figure out all the capitals. But after that hang, where we figured out all the capitals, and actually we also learned the meaning of the word scrapple, um, which I won't share here because it's not really fit for uh, public radio consumption. It's a little bit vulgar if you actually get into the meaning. But it's, it's considered fine dining in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, and it is not, so, in fact, from the apple, as jazz lore would No, it's not believe. from the apple. It's not, from not at all. It's yeah. from a pig, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. Yeah. yeah, you know about scrapple, yeah. It's, some people really like to eat it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we learned our 50 capitals, we learned scrapple, and kind of after that, Capital Diner was our spiritual uh, mecca. You know, that's, I think that's where we're going to do our pilgrimages from, from now on. And so there wasn't really any choice. When it came time to name the album, it was definitely Capital Diner Volume 1. That was kind of the, uh, the source of it all. That was the fountainhead, so to speak. I just want to talk a little bit more about the uh, the music that's on the record. Um, all really, really interesting and fun to listen to. And although you guys, I mean, it's obvious just from talking to you, there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek stuff here. That it doesn't seem like it's all tongue-in-cheek. I mean, you you reference things like Gandhi's concept of Satyagraha, which is a pretty serious thing and difficult to be tongue-in-cheek about. Um, and so I wonder if you could talk just a little bit more about how you. Uh, about what's behind some of these records. Like, for example, that Gandhi reference is a pretty out-of-left-field thing to reference, and a lot of people won't even know what it is, so maybe someone could talk about what it is and why it matters and why it was worth writing a, a tune about. Well, I guess I should talk about this. <laughs> this is Dan, and uh, Satyagraha is my tune, so I'll jump in. Um, I had actually just read this really great book by Mark Kurlansky entitled Nonviolence, which I would recommend to anybody. And he talks about the concept of Satyagraha, which really briefly... It's just Gandhi's concept. Um, a lot of people call Gandhi's method nonviolent resistance, and he felt that uh, that was too passive of a term and that what he was doing was much more proactive um, and much more effective than the term nonviolent resistance, which leads you to believe. So he, he coined the term satyagraha, which means truth force. And so he believed that what he was doing had a really strong proactive effect even if it didn't incorporate violence. And history bore him out to be correct. You know, he was able to, you know, achieve independence for his country. So, yeah, I named that tune that because I was inspired by that. And um, so that's, that's one of the more serious tunes on the album, and it has a bit of that, that somberness and that solemnness to it. Um, but, yeah, you, as you said, there's a pretty wide spectrum of, of emotions through the the album, and some of it's very somber, and some of it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, and some of it's pretty rocking. And I think it just kind of represents, you know, who we are as a band. And I think if you spend a day with us talking, you get a lot of 
get a lot of strong humor, but then there's a lot of things we're very serious about. And then music is one of the things we're really serious about. So, you know, of course, there's going to be a lot of humor in it, but there's going to be um, some pretty serious musical statements as well. Yeah, and I, I don't mean to, uh, I almost, in some ways, I almost flipped that on its head, because I actually think there's there's plenty of seriousness in music most of the time. And so it is, in fact, the fact that there's humor that really attracts me to to some music. Um, Some of the people that you choose to cover, like Sufjan Stevens, I think is another great example of that, whose uh, tune Flint is is covered on here. That tune itself is not funny. (laughs) But but a lot of his work, I think, really rests on humor. And there's so many earnest people in the music world these days that uh, people who can also have fun and just be regular kind of human beings with a full range of emotion, I find really appealing to listen to um, and just to be around. I really enjoy the record and uh, have have greatly enjoyed talking to the three of you and thank you for for being here and uh, hope that you'll you'll keep in touch with the jazz session and and come back for all your various projects including you know Capital Diners Volume Two through Eleven or however it ends up being. Oh, we actually yeah we just we just recorded Capital Diner Volume Two. No kidding. Sorry, I forgot to mention that we did that down in New Orleans, and and the tentative title is Animal Style. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Capital Diner Volume 2, Animal Style. That's right. Yep. That's it. Now it's out in the world. That's, it's out in the world. that's nice. Now I'm going to have to put an explicit tag in the iTunes uh, listing. Yeah. <laughs> That was the Wii Trio from their new album, Capital Diner Volume 1, on Bionic Records. You've been listening to The Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available for free in iTunes and online at thejazzsession.com, where you'll also find written interviews, live jazz news, and lots of jazz links. You can also click on Show Archive at the top to find links to every episode. The Jazz Session has an email mailing list, which is a great way to win free music. In fact, it's a, the primary way that I give out free music. You can sign up for that at thejazzsession.com. And if you're on Facebook, the Jazz Session also has a Facebook group, and I give away music there, too. For more interviews and reviews, please visit allaboutjazz.com, the world's largest jazz website. 
You'll find my work there beside that of many other jazz writers, reviewers, and fans. The theme music for this show is by the Respect Sextet. They've got a brand new album on the way, and you can find out more at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo. As always, thank you very much for being here, because really, there'd be no point in doing this show without you, and I'm so glad you were here to listen. I hope that you will tell a friend about the Jazz Session, and I hope that you will support live jazz whenever and wherever you can. And then come back again next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening. Bye.